Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Good morning. It's so good to be here. I love being at the Valley Church. Um, be it online or be it on site, it takes effort um, to get to church. You know, it doesn't matter if you're getting your family ready, loading in the car, and getting to the building, or even I've been on the other side where it's trying to get the kids set with an activity or in the other room so that you can turn on the the YouTube channel and be tuned in for church. Um, it takes effort, right? And one reason other than, than God telling us to take the Sabbath and come together as the body of Christ, um, that I come to the Valley Church. One is for God, but the second um, is for all of you. Um, we, my family, we get up every Sunday and choose the Valley Church as our home because uh, we just love you all, and uh, we're just so thankful. You're a blessing to my life. You're a blessing to my children's lives as you serve, um, and it's just uh, an incredible pleasure to be with you this morning. So before we even open the Bible and dig into the Word, uh, can we just pray together? Heavenly Father, um, we just ask you to come into this space today. Wherever we are, Lord, I just ask um, that you come and speak to our hearts. Lord, we're just giving you permission today to move things around however you want. It's your space in there. We just pray that we, we leave these moments together um, being less of who we were and more like you. Amen. A little bit about me. I am the worship arts director here at the Valley Church. Um, I love being with this team. I love just spending time with Jesus um, and coming to him in song. That's part of what brings joy to my life is using those gifts that he's given me. I'm also um, a mom to two sweet little girls, Myla and Wren. Uh, Myla just turned six and Wren is two. Um, my husband, Chris, he serves back in the tech booth and we're so thankful for those tech guys that help get us all worked out and things ready to go for Sunday mornings. Um, and by day, I'm a biology teacher. Um, I teach for OHVA and I teach science and I love science. Like, I get excited to teach science. I actually started out my educational journey trying to be a third grade teacher in school. Um, and that's when I took, uh, it wasn't a biology class, but an environmental science class. And I loved studying the way things worked. It is just so cool. I'm always just like, whoa, God, this is crazy stuff. The like intricacy and the connections that everything has. Um, we have a really big, cool God, you know, who doesn't overlook the little things. One thing I love about being a science teacher is I don't mind like finding out the way I think something works isn't really the way it works. Like I love being wrong in science, okay? Every year we do labs and I have a student or a pair of students that always go through this course during their experimentation, okay? So at the beginning of a lab experiment, they make a hypothesis. A hypothesis, you know, is your educated guess of what the outcome of the experiment will be. Um, and these students, they, they make their hypothesis and then through the process of experimentation, they're like manipulating the variables just to kind of like 
make things go their way. You know what I mean? <laughs> so at the end, they have a conclusion that supports their hypothesis. However, it's full of faulty data and actually a really bad conclusion that, that's based on things that just, this just didn't happen, okay? Um, so I think it's funny that they do that. And I feel like if you've ever worked with a group of kids or students, you might have seen something like this play out, you know? Um, so let's just take a really quick poll. I want you to drop an emoji in the comments below, all right? Let's just see how many people we have going around uh, this, you know, whoever's watching, what you do. So let's do this. If you are a teacher like myself, drop an emoji below. If you're a coach, drop an emoji. If you like coach football or soccer, put one of those down there. If you are a babysitter, a parent, a counselor, maybe you're a Boy Scout or Girl Scout leader, okay, drop something in the comments if you've done anything that has to do with any kind of group of kid or kids or teens or organizations. Hopefully in the comments you're just like seeing people all over because you know what, a lot of us have that experience working with kids. You know, these kids of mine that came up with this inconclusive uh, like lab experiment, they were feeling like they were like truly winning, right? Because, because their conclusion proved their hypothesis, in their mind they were winning. They didn't realize that I was watching what go was going on behind the scenes. So, you know what? We're going to wear those hats today. We're going to wear those parent, coaching, counselor, leader hats today as we read this story. And you'll understand why, but we need to be thinking like those leaders as we read this story. That really is in the Bible, okay? So we're going to open up the Bible to Numbers 22, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now, this is in the Old Testament. This is clear at the beginning of the book, guys. So we are talking about before Jesus, and we are talking shortly after the Israelites had left Egypt, all right? And that's where we're going to pick up Numbers 22, verse 1. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped into the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw that Israel, saw that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with the dread of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, the horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox does the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, so we've got King, uh, king Balak, all right, he's going to do something about it. He sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pether near the Euphrates River in his native land. He said, King Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and they have settled next to me. Now come, put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. 
Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. All right, that's not the end of the story. But as I read stories and watch movies, I always have to go into like good guy, bad guy thing. I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's something where I'm like trying to like maybe see, like watch my back, like what's going on. So we're going to take a minute and categorize these characters into, and they're not characters, they're people in the story. We have First of all, the Israelites, okay? So Israelites, they are the ones that Moses came and got from Pharaoh. They walked through the Red Sea. They wandered the desert for way too long. Okay, these are, hint, God's chosen people. Okay, so where are we chucking them? If they're God's chosen people, we're going to put them in the good guys category, okay? So now we have um, King Balak. Now, King Balak is the king of Moab, and he is trying to keep things, like, settled, all right? He is seeing those Israelites come closer and closer, and they're defeating different peoples in the name of the Lord to take over the promised land. They, he is freaked out, okay? So he is trying to get someone to come curse God's chosen people. So what do we think? Good guy, bad guy, what do you think? Yeah, if he's trying to curse God's chosen people, let's go ahead and chuck him in the bad guys category. And the last character it talks about in the story, or the last man it talks about in the story, is Balaam. All right? We haven't really read a lot about Balaam yet. It talks about, um, at the very end of that, it said, whomever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. All right, so we know Balaam has some kind of power. Does it come from God? Does it come from the devil? I don't know. If we read on, he does mention, Balaam does talk about the Lord. So maybe I'm leaning towards good guy, but at this point, let's just leave Balaam as to be determined, all right? TVD. We are going to continue reading, and then maybe we can make some better um some better judgment on what this guy is up to. So let's continue. Um, in Numbers, it is number seven. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. That is the money. They got cash money. So when they came to Balaam, they said to him what Balak had said. I'm sure Balaam is like, wait, what? Um, so Balaam's like, all right, guys, spend the night here. And I will answer back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with Balaam. So there's something important we need to know as we kind of try to unpack this story. So the name Lord, the name Lord is a translation for the Hebrew word Yahweh. Okay? So Lord means Yahweh, and Yahweh means God of the Israelites. I promise I'm not just giving you a vocabulary lesson for no reason. But in that scripture, Balaam is talking to God and referencing him as Lord. 
All right, so this tells us that Balaam knows there's a connection between the Lord and the Israelites. All right, so I have an idea that Balaam's thinking, oh, this is probably not a good idea to curse those people. But he just kind of let them hang out at his house for the night just to check with God, you know? My kids, my kids love candy. I guess I can't blame them. I love candy too. <laughs> but at my house, sometimes Milo will wake up in the morning and walk downstairs and she'd be like, Mom, can I have candy for breakfast? And I'm like, uh, hello, when has that ever been a good choice? Like, do I ever let you have candy for breakfast? No, you can't have candy for breakfast. And I feel like it's the same way. It's like Balaam. This is, this is Lord. This is God of the Israelites. You really think God's going to be cool with you cursing his people? I don't know. I don't think he's getting God on that boat. Have you ever been on a path in your life that you just like kind of knew God was probably not down with, you know? I mean, in all truthfulness, I have. And when I was going down that path, I kept thinking, like, eh, if I just get a little bit farther, I think God will be okay with it then. You know? Sounds like manipulation, right? I mean, honestly, I'm calling myself out. Yeah, it is. It's manipulation. But that's what Balaam was doing. That's what Milo was doing. And let me tell you, I don't feel like it was going to work out for him. So back to candy, though, all right, because candy's a big deal in our house. And because it's so highly sought after, I keep our candy bin in, like, the upper cabinets of our house. There's only one place for it, and it is without, like, not within reach of the little people. So the other day I saw Ren, it was just last week, and she is pushing the bar stool with, like, a very determined look on her face towards those upper cabinets, Okay. I totally knew what was happening, but what did I do? I, I looked at her and I said, Ren, what are you doing? All right. She like partly smiled and then partly looked shameful. <laughs> and you see, God knew Balaam's heart. He could see his selfish intentions. He saw that Balaam saw these people coming to him with money, and he was like, ooh, I really, really, really want this to happen for me. All right, and so God the Father, the Father, there's those hats, right, starts the conversation with Balaam in verse 22-9. He says, just like I did Ren, who are these men with you? I mean, obviously God knows who these men are. God knows everything. <laughs> and in verses 10 and 11, Balaam responds by sugarcoating, no pun intended, the situation. Why does he continue to, like, sugarcoat this? Like, he knows God knows the intention of King Balak. But he just was like those students of mine gathering faulty data, trying to make this experiment work. If Balaam could get this to work, it would be so good for his life. He would get all these riches, maybe fame, and he's really wanting God to just get on the same page as him. 
Yeah, well, you can kind of guess how this conversation goes. Verse 12, God, God is like, um, no, no, no. Those are my people. And he says in quotes, do not go with them. Do not. So Balaam, being the smart dude he was at that moment, sent them back to King Balak. He's like, I'm sorry, my God said I cannot do that. And he sends them home. And once they get back to King Balak, verse 20, uh, verses 14 through 20 talk about how King Balak responds to them coming home and being like, sorry, man, we tried. Um, and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I really, really need him. And since you guys couldn't do, you couldn't do it, you couldn't bring him back to me, I'm sending princes this time. We're going to up the ante. This is going to work. I need him. All right? It's like the biggest fantasy football trade there is. He's the player your team needs, and he's just going to start shuffling all the cards to make this work. Um, because you see, even 7,000 years ago, money spoke. And it spoke to Balaam, too, because those guys, those princes, show up at his door, and I'm sure this time he's like, whoa. All right, he sees that they've upped the ante, and instead of just being like, I'm sorry, guys, I, I talked to God, and he said no, he's like, okay, okay, like, just come hang out one night, and let me just go double check with God and make sure, you know, he's really sure. Right? I mean, at this point, I mean, at this point, Balaam knows. He knew like he was the God of the Israelites and that might not be a good idea, but he checked. He checked in with God and God gave him a hard no. Um, and he's like going back to God again. You see, I can't help but feel like this is what God is seeing. This is my daughter, Myla, of course begging for candy naturally, but like he just sees Balaam on his knees begging because he doesn't have God's will at the center of his life. He's not saying, hey, God, I really want to do this if this is what you want me to do. It'd be pretty cool to end up that way. But, Lord, I really don't want what's best for me. I want what is best for you. That's not the path he was thinking on, you know. And at our house, we have a, a mommy quota, because, like, for some reason, they think asking 10 and 11 and 12 times for some reason will get me to change my response. And honestly, if I'm being real, sometimes it does. And, you know, I think that's kind of where God got with Balaam. Because in verse 20, he finally says, okay, fine, you go. Go with those people. They've summoned you, but only speak what I have what I tell you to speak. And in verse 21, Balaam is like, yes, this is working. All right, so he gets up the next morning, morning, okay? He doesn't wait till noon. He doesn't want God to change his mind. He gets up the next morning, saddles his donkey, and this guy is riding with the kings or the princesses, princes on the way to see King Balak. I'm like, He's probably feeling real cool, and he's got, like, riches awaiting him. I don't know. I think he's feeling like my lab students were winning, right? He's winning. <laughs> but 
but. There's always that but. But then we read verse 22. It's a God was very angry when he went. Yikes. I don't know. I think we better pay attention to this next part because I don't want God like angry at me, let alone very angry. So like, let's just kind of back this up. When I read this the first time, I was like, wait a minute, you told him to go, why are you mad? And it's because, right, it's not because Balaam just went. That's not why God is very angry. I think God is very angry because he saw that begging child and his selfish intentions. He knew Balaam was going to do anything he could do to try to make this work in his favor, not God's favor. He saw his selfish intentions. And you guys, this goes all the way back to like Garden of Eden. God never forces us into obedience. He gives us the choice to choose. And in this situation, he saw... But Balaam wasn't choosing him. So Balaam's on route to the king, and we're going to pick it up in verse 22, but not without inserting ominous music, okay? Because this is going to get crazy. So God is very angry, and he's on the way. So the, the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. The donkey saw the angel with a drawn sword in his hand and turned off the road. And Balaam beat him. Clearly, Balaam was not seeing what that donkey was. Verse 24. A second time, the angel of the Lord stood in the vineyard they were crossing, and there were walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord with his sword raised... It pressed closely against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot. I am guessing Balaam is just like mortified. He's with all these princes and his donk. I'm sure he's looking at his donkey like, what is your problem? Right? Again, clearly Balaam does not see the angel of the Lord. Verse 26 says, so the angel, it moved further ahead. He is persistent and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down. Balaam was angry and beat it with his staff. Music heightens, okay? <laughs> then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. What have I done to make you beat me three times? In verse 29, Balaam answered the donkey, You've made a fool of me. If I had a sword, I would kill you. Okay, let's just take a minute, okay? Because I had to erase this from my mind too. I know what you're thinking, right? This other donkey, <laughs> this other talking donkey that we're all familiar with. Yes, yes, he is a fictional character from Trek and we got to just like get him out of our minds before we can can clearly move on because this donkey was legit I mean he's a real animal and he is speaking to Balaam so things are getting super weird we've got a, a donkey that's talking 
And then Balaam is like arguing back with him, like this is totally normal. Don't worry, don't worry, it gets even crazier. I'm not lying, okay? So we've got the do, uh, we've got Balaam and the donkey arguing, and in verse 30, the donkey continues. He's not done. Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam said. All right, so we got the donkey and Balaam, and they're like vocally duking it out. And the craziest thing is that the donkey wins the argument. <laughs> All right, I mean, I've had bad days, but I've never like lost to a donkey, okay? So once he finally admits that like, okay, yeah, this is strange of you. In verse 31, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And Balaam finally sees the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. And like any smart man would, he bowed, right? I mean, God has a sense of humor. Usually Balaam is the, like the prophet, right? And he's usually the one seeing things. And in this case, it's not Balaam at all. It's his donkey. And in my mind, I feel like the angel like, might like wink at the donkey and be like, I'll take it from here. The angel says, why have you beaten your donkey three times? I have come to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. That donkey saw me and turned three times. If it had not, I certainly would have killed you. Kind of crazy. So Balaam, in verse 34 and 35, he apologizes. He's like, okay, whoa, I'm sorry. Don't kill me. And I think he really did have a humbled spirit at that point. Because he takes the directions of the angel to continue on with the princes and to only speak the words of who? The words of the Lord. So we've got Balaam, and he's back on the road with the kings, a little less cooler than before, and the story continues. I really want you to finish this story this week because it's super, super cool. But when, when Balaam gets to King Balak, three separate, separate occasions, King Balak asks Balaam to go curse the Israelites. And instead of cursing the Israelites, Balaam goes... And I feel like he's just probably like standing there like, okay, God, give me something. And instead of speaking curses over the Israelites, you know what God did? God filled his mouth with blessings over the Israelites. I think it's really crazy how God steps in in this moment through his angels and through this donkey to get a hold of Balaam. Because you see, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Balaam was a good guy and made great decisions and, and just sent those princes home or a bad guy. Because guess what? God used Balaam to accomplish his will. He took selfish Balaam's endeavors, let him go see the king, and then just spoke more blessings over his people. And you know, 
all across the Bible, we see willing and reluctant participants of, of God, okay? So you, that's us too. So I want you to check out this graph that I made, and it just kind of categorizes a few that came to my mind. But like you've got people like um, Noah, all right? Who He's like, go build a boat and put all these animals in it. And people are like, what? Okay, he's got Mary and, and is like, hey, will you carry this baby? He's going to be the savior of the world. And like, that sounds pretty crazy. But she said, yes, Lord, use me, you know? And then we've got our reluctant participants. They're just like as much um, famous in the Bible, right? Like you have heard of um, Jonah. He told Jonah and to go one direction, he wanted to go another. And so moral of the story is he ends up in a belly's wha uh, the whale of the whale of a belly, <laughs> the belly of a whale. Um, so we've got him, and at the end of the day, guess what? He used Jonah to accomplish his will. He used Pharaoh to accomplish his will. And you and I, he's gonna use us to accomplish his will. The question is, what list would you make? I mean, it's not would. What list are you on? Are you the good guy? Are you willing right now to just do whatever God puts in front of you and asks of you to do? Are you over here like, I don't know. I don't know all you Jesus people. I, I, got, some things, I got some things to figure out before I can jump on that willing boat. You know what, let's just be real. We are all moving through life and things are happening around us and we get things sent our way in situations and, and sometimes we are like up here and having like a spiritual, on a spiritual mountaintop and we are like, all right, God, throw something else at me. I'll do it. And then we go through situations in life that at some point like through like our humanity the enemy speaks into our hearts and says, you're not enough. You don't have enough to do that. That takes too much time, too much energy. Let me tell you, your life is, is too messy. And if they knew your past, that is, that's real ugly. But you know what? God examines our heart. Just like he did Balaam's, he knew his intentions were selfish. What are our intentions today? Do we even evaluate our heart? Have we examined our heart lately? Because let me tell you, this world is going to be fleeting. You know that if you've been here very long. And our heart, our heart is deceiving. Jeremiah 17, 9 warns us about just feeling things right? Because you see, the, the enemy, he doesn't speak to our head. The enemy speaks to our hearts. Which leads us to two things I feel like we can learn from Balaam today. And the first is this. He knows before we expose. Just think on that. He knows before we expose. He knew from the very beginning when Balaam started to just conjure this idea to God where his heart was. 
He knew he wasn't willing. He knew he was on that reluctant side because he saw what he could have. I have called my parents on numerous occasions, okay? And things are happening and life is just tough, right? And I call them and I'll just, I'll just cry and I'll tell them how I'm feeling, whether it's frustrated or hurt or just bewildered or whatever it is that I'm going through. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. One night, my freshman year of college, I legitimately called my dad because I stayed up too late studying and was like, just like mindlessly eating. I literally ate an entire bag of Cool Ranch Doritos and I felt terrible. And I just called my dad. <laughs> and he was like, why are you, what? But, but he reassured me, I'd be okay. Those Doritos were probably not a great choice all night long and I might need to go to bed. Uh, but he reminded me of his love for me. And you know what? I think that's how our Heavenly Father looks at us too. If you're on that reluctant side today or you're even on that willing, He knows what's inside. And He just wants to hear from you. He wants you to tell Him about your concerns, your skepticism, your struggles. He just wants to hear from you. He wants you to call Him and just tell Him all about it. Maybe it's crying like it was for me because he's our loving father and all over the Bible it talks about he's our strength, he's our shield, our rescuer in a time of trouble, our deliverer. He's just waiting for us to say, hey, I got something to tell you. And more than any of those things that he can be for us, he, he's our father, our loving father. And you know what? When we call him up <laughs> and we empty ourselves and tell him all of these concerns we have, you know what? We can let him in and he can fight for us. What is in our hearts today that's holding us back? What's making us reluctant? Are you playing games with God? Trying to conjure things to just maybe convince him? What is it today that we need to expose from our hearts and not keep them at arm's length, but bring it in? Because he, he already knows. Maybe today it's unforgiveness. Man, relationships are hard. And when people hurt you, it's sometimes hard to let go. But he wants you to. Tell him about that. Tell him about that situation. He wants to hear. Maybe it's jealousy or resentment. Maybe you're just incontent with life and it just seems to be like working out for everybody else and not you. Or maybe you're just so hurt. Maybe you're hurt from a church or a person or a family or your spouse. Tell them. Let's just tell them today. The second thing we can learn is that God can use anyone and any. Thing, right? Even a donkey and even selfish Balaam. See, God will use the reluctant and God will use the willing. 
he's used a lot of things in my life. He's used, he's used people. He hasn't used donkeys, but I just kind of want to give you a few things because I don't know, when I go to buy a product on Amazon, I always look at the ratings, all right? And then if it's got like a three and a half star, I'll like scroll to the bottom and be like, okay, what? let's see some pictures. I want to hear how this worked for you, okay? So this is how emptying myself, telling God all my problems, and then being willing how he has worked in my life, all right? He has worked through the life of my dog, okay? He hasn't been talking to me through the dog, but it, my dog, in a time of loneliness and isolation, honestly reminded me of truths that I needed to just hear in that time of silence. God has used my money, my tithe. Chris and I, um, when we were uh, early on in our marriage, we, we weren't tithing. And honestly, it was a really hard thing for us to just wrap our minds around. 10% seemed like a lot of money, and we weren't just like, we weren't just like growing money on trees. We didn't know how we were honestly going to pay our bills if we gave that tithe to God. Um, and so uh, we did. I don't want to say we complained to God, but we were like, all right, God, I'm just letting you know we're trusting you. Okay, we're going to do it this month, but uh, you better please help us pay our bills. Um, and you know what? He saw us. He heard our hearts. He saw our intentions. And when we moved in a step of obedience, I am, I am not lying to you. We had sal like unexpected salary increases, not during review times of the year. And then even more of a miracle um, is we were experiencing an infertility battle that we didn't even know was happening. Um, it was not, had not been an easy process conceiving, but we did not have a diagnosis yet. But we found out that we had conceived a baby that month. Fast forward like five years ahead, we were like 0.5% chances that that could have happened for us. All right, God didn't open the mouth of a donkey, but God moved through my tithe, through money. God's used the selling of our home. He's used scripture. Guys, he's even used an insurance company to speak for us and move according to his will. You see, today we don't need talking donkeys <laughs> and the burning bush because we have the Holy Spirit because Jesus came, he died on the cross, and now every single day I don't have to go a moment without the Holy Spirit's presence. And he has used all of those things I just mentioned to speak to us through. Just like those, those good guys, those willing guys in the Bible, just like Noah and his boat and Mary and her baby being willing, he used them. And just like Pharaoh, and just like Judas, he used them. But this is the difference, okay? Noah got on that boat with his family and survived a catastrophic world event. Judas, he wasn't winning. He felt so much guilt that he eventually took his own life. 
He was not winning. You see, I practiced this a lot this week, this, this confessing in my heart and talking to God. And this was the problem for me at one point. You just want to keep telling God, okay, God, but like that makes me feel this way and that makes me feel that way. And I would just, I would just be praying to him and start emptying my mind on something to him. But, you know, at some point, we have to come to a stop. Like, we got to stop. That's hard for me. I like to talk, okay? You've got to stop telling him why we can't, and we have to commit. We have to commit to obedience, and we have to commit to listening in to what the Holy Spirit is telling us. So today, I think we need to think of one thing. Let's think of one thing you'll be willing to be obedient to this week. So wherever you are, just close your eyes. Eliminate the distractions around you because this is life-changing. It was for me with my tithe. Maybe it's finances like it was me. Maybe it's not just your tithe. Maybe it's you're just, you are, you're greedy. That's, that's a focus of your life over God. And maybe God could use your finances or your wisdom on how to accumulate wealth to help other people. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you are in an ungodly relationship and you know it, but you're like, God, if I just can get far enough down this road, maybe we'll be good. Or maybe it's a relationship with boundaries, like you're just not following biblical boundaries for your relationships. Maybe it's your integrity with your job. Maybe it's the giving of your time. That's a huge one, right? Maybe it's like, God, I don't, I don't want to leave my house. I'm used to being in my house. All right, maybe it's your resources. Or you know what, maybe it's even church. It's like I talked about at the beginning, church is hard. I have to go to work, but I choose to come to church. I choose to be a spiritual example in my home. And that's hard. It takes effort. It takes being willing. I don't know about you, but I really don't want God opposing me like he did Balaam. So this week... Let's just talk it over with God. No sugarcoating it, okay? Just give it to him. He can handle it. Because he says this, when we tell him our heart's condition, when we confess, we do that first part and just expose because he knows, all right, when we confess to him and say, God, this is how I feel about this, and then we commit to him in obedience and listen, he will lead you. And those aren't my words, those are his. And James 1.5 is a verse that God gave me at a very, very uh, pivotal, pivotal, hard time in my life where I was just really seeking wisdom. And this verse spoke so loudly to me. It was, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. So we're going to him this week. 
we're having it out. We're shedding the tears. We're telling him why. And then we're committing to him and asking to hear from him because he says if we ask, it doesn't say he might get back to you on that. It says he will give you wisdom. I know that if I'm a willing participant, God will not oppose me. And it says in Romans 8.31, if he is for us, then who can be against us? Doesn't that feel good? I love it. Well, I love doing life with you all. Love it. This has been such a blessing to me, such a blessing to my family to be a part of the life of this church. Um, And until next time, y'all, be blessed. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.